0: When you're talking about the church doing what seems to be right and moral, you know, is a tall task to ask for. You know, at, at every point in history, uh, we would say that the church has been critical, you know, uh, uh, for, for, for transformation. Mm. Uh, but but also the church has been integral to these these aspects of terror. Mm. There is no. There is no, you know, slavery in the history of subject racial subjugation without the theological justification yeah. of believing that black people are chattel yeah. and property. You know, there is uh, no, in some sense, you know, wealth gap or incarcer- incarceration rate without these ideas of politics and punishment and morality much rooted in these kind of Ideas of divine nature. There is nobody shooting somebody and beating somebody up that's trans and gay without the religious idea of what who, whose body is worthy of love and whose body is worthy of death and condemnation. You know, there's always this religious theological justification, mm. and so the church. We must be honest about that, um, and we must be allow, allow other people to see our stories, and 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 allow other people to tell our stories for us. And try as best we can, you know, to 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 tell some type of better stories and become the answer to the problems many times that we created and protected and gave and gave justification for. Us. Hey everybody,
1: welcome back to the show. I'm Seth. This is the podcast. I'm sitting here. A six-year-old is staring at me. I see nice you anyway that's life right trying to record an intro be all professional with an audience anyhow welcome i'm so glad that you're here today i welcome to the show dante stewart he wrote a book called shouting in the fire it's a very hard book to read at least it was for me and you'll hear a bit of that interwoven throughout the episode now a couple disclaimers as, as you listen to this one he had his newborn child with him and um because of that i've edited some things out just for privacy i uh i felt like that was what i'd want someone to do for me but you will still hear the baby in the background a little bit here and there and that's okay not a big deal anyhow let's do this thing Yeah. So, cool. anyway, man, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to talk to you. And uh,
0: yeah, wonderful. Well, thanks for having me, bro.
1: There will be probably people like me that haven't read your book because it isn't out yet. Um, that want to know a little about you. And so, when you try to explain like what and who you are, what is that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'm a writer and a minister. Um, and that's that's kind of two of the main roles that I'm in right now and I guess, two main kind of vocational roles um, and a student, you know, um, and and trying to somehow find a way to do as best I can in all three of those areas um, Mm -hmm. uh, or or whatnot, not just exclusively one of those areas. uh, Cause I feel like in some sense, I mean, all three of those areas, both writer, minister, uh, and student is is just reflects so much of uh, where I come from Yeah. Uh, And where I'm going and what I'm trying to become every single day. bro.
1: Yeah. Which do you prefer to be writer, minister or student?
0: Uh, All of them. No lie. I ain't gonna lie. Because like I talk to my friends, my former teammates and things like that. And, you know, we always in some sense kind of looking back in the past and thinking about where we're at right now. You know, six, seven years removed from uh, football and from school and things like that. And some of us have played in NFL. Some of us. know going into business some of us have you know gone into uh, real estate some have gone into starting their own businesses their own gyms and Mm. things like that and Mm. i'm the one out the bunch who's the writer uh uh, a lot of them many of them have gone into ministry as well and so um we we talk kind of you know uh, about dreams and dreaming and things like that and and as i say you know i'm i'm living a dream there's nothing you know, there's there's, I mean, all three of those, those roles uh, are so integral to to how I understand myself, my own self, self-conception um, as and as it relates to what I'm trying to become, you know. And so, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think I would be who I was without all three of those because they represent three kind of various experiences of the world and even of myself. And they teach me so much. So, mm. yeah, but I but I really like to write. I love to write a lot.
1: I didn't Google your your career in South Carolina. What exactly did you play on the football team?
0: Cool. I I like it that way. (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. I played cornerback. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I played defensive back. You know football pretty good?
1: Uh, Well, I'm from West Texas. Played ball all throughout high school. Okay, Um, Okay,
0: yeah. So I played corner. Yeah,
1: Yeah. but yeah, Friday, you know, you don't miss a Friday. You can miss Sunday in my Southern Baptist church, but you don't miss Friday.
0: Yeah, nah, 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 nah. -uh, uh -uh. That's a religion, especially in Texas. No, you'll, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, you get out of wills and that type of stuff. You know, if you,
0: yeah, for real, yeah, for real. Yeah, you know, I always wanted to look at like Texas football because I, I don't, I don't even recall any of my teammates being from Texas. Mm. We just never recruited, like, like we were always like Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina. It's a different animal. You know, and then, you know, uh, up north in some areas furthest we went, you know, Louisiana mm-hmm. um, and things like that. I mean, we had spurts of like California and from different places, but I don't remember. I mean, maybe some guys being from Texas, but yeah,
1: it's a different animal. Um, Texas. I don't know
0: now. Nah, I, th- I think I think I think it's football because I, I don't I mean, I would consider Texas the south, but I mean, like the the as far as like the East Coast. Got some good good football over here now. Oh, definitely. I everybody, ta- I know everybody talk
1: about Texas football. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> no, so here's what I mean by I mean different animal. Like I grew up, and the stadiums were like holding sixty thousand people for high school football. What? Yeah, maybe it's wow. forty five.
0: Uh, no, I'm sure that's up there. Uh, nah,
1: it might be forty five. I might be wrong. It's forty somewhere between forty five and sixty. So, like, when I say it's a different animal, like, I was literally at a yeah. UVA game over the weekend, and I was like, I wonder how many people sit here. And I'm like, oh, this is less than homecoming. So, like, like, wow. like to go from being good in Texas football to then playing it at really in most colleges, it's like, oh, yeah. I, I, I see you. Like, so it's not intimidating is what I mean. It's a different mm. animal. Because if you're mm-hmm. from a big city, um, yeah. you know, you, then you walk in, you're like, oh, cool. Here we go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I've, I've had this many yeah. people booing me before or yelling for me before. (laughs) Anyway, not why I brought you on. So you wrote a book and I referenced for, um, before I hit the record button on the video that like, I stopped halfway halfway through and normally, um, normally Dante, I, I will read every word of every book before I talk to a, to an author. And I tried Mm -hmm. three times to read through your book. Mm. And each time I got about 48% in and I only know the percentage, not the page number, because that's how the Kindle app works. And so I don't actually Mm. know how many pages I am in. Mm. And I just got so frustrated at a book that's interwoven with like theology and autobiography and like Mm. how how I never I, I understand that stuff exists now. Mm. but I never remember seeing it when I should have seen it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So can you talk to me a bit about like the book, why it exists and like why you felt the need to sit down and, because there's some stories Mm. in there that I'm like, God, man, Mm. like, like, like even like I I was thinking about the story earlier today. Um, We were watching, not today, last night, we were watching a show, um, my wife and I, and and there was some kids that pulled over and they got shot at. And I'm like, I just read about that in Mm. a book. Um, you talking about like a story mm-hmm. in the book, like, you know, y'all mm-hmm. pulled over and something wrong with the car, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. dude yelling and then just mm-hmm. shots fired. And you're like, for for what? Mm-hmm. I just pulled over for a minute. Mm-hmm. Just needed a minute mm-hmm. to look at the, mm-hmm. you know. So why why did you feel the need to like kind of go into the book?
0: Yeah, I think first of all, and first, first thank you for having me on with you. Um, I appreciate that. So I think for me, you know, writing is oftentimes, you know, many times for many of us is is a way we make sense of kind of what happened. Um, Not really trying to, at least in, in the tradition of writing, I'm thinking, not really trying to find answers per se, but trying to explore things that happened to kind of understand them a little bit better. Trying to understand, you know, many of the things that, you know, we went through and things like that. So for me, I felt that like there was a uniqueness about, you know, the type of book I wanted to create, particularly, you know, writing a memoir, you know, and and, and thinking about memoir as the genre. Because when you think about, you know, my book is very much, you know, Christian. It's a very it's very much a Christian book. It's very much interwoven with theology and and, mm-hmm. and theory and and critical reflection on on life and faith and church and, and society and things like that. But I knew that the book that I wanted to write, I couldn't write it as what we are familiar with in the Christian genre, particularly regarding like books that's for pastors and ministry leaders and things like that. And so I wanted to first and foremost, write a a creatively crafted book that was honest, that was vulnerable, that was creative, that was compelling, um, that was rigorous and ruthless um, or or, or whatnot, that, that, that was very particular about my own experiences um, and things like that. Like, I feel like a lot of Christian books almost makes our faith in ourselves the heroes of the story. I um, mean, as much as we, you know, as much as we like to say, you know, there's only one hero, there's that colloquialism, you know, there's only one hero to this story, and that's Jesus. But I think the type of writing that many of us have learned and do, you know, doesn't, it's, I, I want to call it dishonest, but I don't even know if that's the right word that might be, you know, not in the sense of like, it's lying, that type of literature is lying, but it doesn't just tell a human story.
1: Mm.
0: It's a very triumphal narrative uh, that must have winners in the end, that must, you know, have answers in the end, that must have application in the end, that must sustain in coherent frameworks uh, our experience of faith and our experience of God and things like that and our experience of the world. And I just felt like, you know, that's just not the type of book I wanted to write. I wanted to write a book that was incredibly black. Mm. um, That was, you know, meaningfully Christian. um, And that did both of those things in in very creative, uh, in creative ways uh, that, that woven narrative and really good storytelling. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. At the beginning of the book, you tell a story about meeting another guy at the beginning of uh, football and he basically says that Mm -hmm. they tell you about all the running we're about to do. And I didn't realize it until the second time I tried to read the book that that is basically the whole story of the book is you're not Mm. literally running, you're just figuratively running, running from this, running from that, running Mm -hmm. from that. Mm -hmm. Unless for some reason you just didn't write it and I missed it each time, like the miles that Mm -hmm. you ran. Well, you talk about running to a military base and back. But but yeah, yeah. yeah. So can you name some of the things that you feel like you're running from, you know, as as it relates to where you were at at the time and kind of how that relates to maybe the story of other people, you know, as they've read through the book.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And, and that's very perceptive reading um, or, or, or whatnot, because, I mean, running is a metaphor that 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 runs throughout my book. You know, no pun intended. Um, you know, it, it it's interwoven in my own story, you know, whether I found myself at home or whether in church or whether on the football field or, you know, in, in different areas, you know, I, I ran. And I think running for me was as 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 I write, you know, it it was a way to mask so much of the pain and the trauma and the confusion, um, and and, and even the wounds, you know, and, and even my failures. Mm-hmm. um that i think that i think you know i ran from and that was that was hard that was hard to write about but i knew i had to write that type of book if i was to find wholeness in my own story but also to help other people find wholeness as well because i think once we can name you know, once we can name what we're most afraid of, especially as it relates to our own emotional well-being and our own sense of identity, once we can name what we're most afraid of, then little by little we can have courage to try and rewrite that story. Mm. And so for me, running and not running was about learning how to learning to how how to be courageous again and again and again and again. And you know, in, in moments of the stories. You know, there were moments where I ran for myself, where I ran from other people. And then there were also moments where I stopped running, uh or whatnot. And I started to face things. When I stopped running and started to face things, then I think that's when I found my healing and my liberation. And so yeah. Yeah. So
1: I've I've envisioned Different answers to this questions, nah. and it's not really all that weighty. It's more of just a, a curiosity, um, and it and it, it, it is in the few sentences before the question I actually want to ask. So there's a part in there where you talk about you know you're 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 meeting new people. You're in like some big white mega church, and so we'll just call it we'll call it passion. Why not? Well, I'll pick on I'll pick on passion, <laughs> but like I, I think people know that church. Like that's the church that's on TV. That's the you know that's that's what people think of when they think of evangelicalism, at least. I think most of the bulk of the the country—that's what they think of. You know, the stuff that you hear on K Love and the, the the worship music that mm-hmm. sounds like you know God's just a mighty God and doesn't actually ever sit with us when we struggle, even though the bulk mm-hmm. of the scripture is actually about lament and brokenness, and that's okay. Um, so, what are you exactly spray painting on trailers around in the neighborhood as a as a kid? Like you you write that you know you used to get yelled at for spray painting trailers in yeah. the neighborhood. Like, is that like like people's trailers? Is that like, house trailers? Like, what is that? Like,
0: what are you spray painting? Yeah, it's like back in the country when we was younger, you know, we would would just have black spray paint and we just be like spray painting cuss words, cuss words. We'd be spray painting gang signs. (laughs) All right. You know, it it would be everything we'd be doing, bro. We'd just be going around just like finding something to do in the country, bro. Just like, you know, and then we got some painting, and then, you know, we went around. Fair and enough. Start, yeah. I
1: just read, it, I'm like, what would you be like? Are you painting people's houses? Like, what are you painting? No, yeah. no, no,
0: no. It's like, it's like, it's like doggone. Uh- <laughs> San, Andrei- San Andreas, Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas, going tagging places, yeah. you know, with my, with my street name, Sugar Hill Lane. You know, like <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah, it was very childish. Um, yeah. <laughs> or so, yeah. yeah.
1: So you go on to say a few sentences after that, you know, you were introduced to white Catholics, evangelicals, atheists, progressives, yeah. conservatives. And I can't remember what it says after that. But then what I wrote down, is you say, the thing I didn't realize was that, realized was that both of our stories had already been told by this nation in ways that we could later that we would later have to reckon with we were walking into scripts that had already been written we were individuals but we were also performers what are those scripts not just for for black people but for the white people as well like what are those scripts that you're referencing what is that like what are you saying
0: yeah yeah yeah. so that that's when you know i'm thinking sociologically that you know we are we are individuals but we also are also a part of history and history you know, as Baldwin would say, as James Baldwin would say, lives in us. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm thinking about uh, these scripts, it really grew out of my reading of uh, Richard Hughes' incredible book, um, Myths That America Lives By, uh, White Supremacy and the Stories That Give Us Meaning. And Richard Hughes talks about myths and that myths are not just fiction, which they are, But myths are those powerful stories that lie at the heart of how we name, see, and act within the world. And when you're talking about America and and, and even the kind of religious script, the social script, the racial script, the sexual script, script, uh, the gendered script, uh, the class script, all these scripts, all these stories about what is right, what is moral, what is normal, what is good, what is true, what's beautiful, what's to be desired. So many of these scripts centered on what white people thought, what white people mm. believed to matter, how white people worship, how how white people make it, how white people do church and things like that. And so the script was that at the heart of the faith in the country is the preservation and the protection uh, uh, and the prominence of a certain type of white racial dominance of the social order, uh, the cultural order and the religious order. And so I'm thinking in systems thinking. So, uh, in 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 many fields of study, particularly in the fields of study regarding law and society uh, and philosophy and sociology, uh, we have to think also. We, we're not just individuals, but we are individuals who in, inhabit a history that is inherited. Mm-hmm. So, the New Yorker has this beautiful. you see the New York? I think it's the Atlantic, actually. So the Atlantic has this really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, um, series that they're running right now entitled Inheritance. Um, And if anybody got a chance to check that series out, it's just an amazing, amazing series that, that particularly thinks about what black people inherit in this country, particularly the, the ways in which we learn how to make the world, as uh, Black feminist theorist Ann Williamson write, that, that that the way Black people make the world is as much a starting point uh, as any other place. Um, that, that when we're talking about in the realm of epistemology and, and what we know and how we come to know, mm-hmm. uh, white ways of thinking that's bound to where many of us in those churches found ourselves in, which I would name to be white social space, has visions and values that they that they believe to be right and that we should all accept and mm-hmm. that we cannot name because it's the given, it's the ungiven given, yeah, uh, or, 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 or whatnot. And so it's just like playing sports. You know, I'm an individual, but once I put on a jersey, I'm a part of a story and a history larger than me. And when I step on the field, I step into that story. And in some sense, we want to make sure that story ends with us winning in the end, mm. uh, whatnot. And so it's just like life. Uh, football teaches us so much about life. That that uh, if we think about this jersey, what is normal? That's just we just put it on and take it off, and we're surrounded by the colors and we're immersed in this world. Yeah, uh, it would be representative of this these ideas of whiteness and the ways in which you know white people have thought about the world, and so. Many of us, when we go to white college campuses, uh, white churches, oftentimes, you know, we are, because we're in this social space, we're caught up in rhythms. We're caught up in in, in ways of seeing the world, you know, that's just based on social and communal relationships. And that in in turn changes us and changes how we see the world. And it reinforces these narratives or what Richard Hughes would call these stories that give us meaning. It reinforces it. You know what people believe about God. What believe people believe about patriotism. What people believe about the world. And so, you know, that's the script. You know, that I think we inherit. uh, That's fundamental to the ideas and notions of purity uh, and morality that so surround our country and our religion. Um, And that's the narratives that I wanted to deconstruct. uh, In a sense of not saying that everything that 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 my book is centered on deconstructing those narratives because my book is not my book is not written to white people it's not written to help white people become better humans or less racist or more moral or better christians my book is particularly written to us as black folks so that we may be seen inspired protected and loved um and so for me a part of kind of deconstructing that narrative and rewriting that narrative or retelling that story was about doing what Elizabeth Alexander and her beautiful work entitled The Black Interior was trying to do. And that is this idea of looking again at our black lives, Mm. looking again, you know, at our stories, looking again at our humanity and realizing that we do not just die, but we live. And when we live, we make something of the world that we live in. I have that book.
1: I haven't read it. It's a book of poetry, right? It's it's a black. No, no, no. no.
0: yeah yeah, but, yeah yeah with the orange yeah. face on it yeah oh bro yeah. bro you gotta i read haven't good. read it
1: a friend of mine uh, uh, a friend of mine recommended it and it's a friend that i trust and he's like dude you gotta read it and i said okay and so i bought it and just i haven't read it yet it's it's over there I swear there.
0: by this book i swear by this book and i quoted i think two well i think i quoted twice but i also quote her her um her i quote her i went essay. to her website
1: because she's apparently like done some work with michelle obama oh, she's done a bunch oh, she's of amazing. stuff amazing and I was you like, "How have I too. never heard of her?" Um,
0: yeah, you should get this too. They have her essay from the New Yorker called "The Trayvon Generation," mm. um, and it's it's one of the last essays uh, in this writing on Black life from the New Yorker. So it's called "The Matter of Black Lives."
1: I was trying to read um, it.
0: Her 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 essay, the 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 Trayvon Generation, is absolutely stunning. And the Black interior it changed the way I wrote the book. And I think this is this is why I think. There's a certain type of uniqueness about what I was trying to do and what I felt like I accomplished is that like, you know, I wasn't even trying to make us as black folk heroes in this story. I just wanted to write as honest as possible, centering us and our lives to say, okay, what can we learn from us? What can be gained or whatnot? How can we look into the interior part of our lives and scope out the beauty and the love, the joy, the failure, everything uh 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 uh, that can be explored in that in in, in our lives and what can we gain and what can what what can be gleaned from it
1: so i'm curious your take on this because you talked about myths one of my favorite quotes is from joseph campbell i don't know if you've read any of his stuff or at all um Mm -hmm. do you know the hero's journey is that a thing that you know Mm -hmm. what that is I'll have to grab your email. I'll send you some stuff. It's it's if I'm gonna overgeneralize it. It's a narrative of like every pivotal moment in in and usually narrative. And so he takes it from like stories and legends and myths. And so there's like a person that answers a call, they leave. Well, here we go. So I'll do Lord of the Rings. So like have you seen Lord of the Rings? You know what I'm talking about? Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I love Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah. So he answers a call, takes on a big challenge, finds divine intervention. <coughs> so that's gonna be Gandalf. It changes who he is. He has to cross, in this case, a literal metaphorical bridge where you know it says you shall not pass. He ends up becoming changed. Has to answer the call to do something really important that's going to be life altering, and then ultimately does that. It breaks him or changes him, and then that person returns home a changed being than the person. That's. So it's just like an endless loop, and that's a way over generalization. Mm. So um, the book that that's in is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Um, it's actually mm. pretty. I like it. Um, but one of my favorite quotes about myth is he says, "Myth is much more important and true than history. History is just mm. journalism, and you know how reliable that is." Um, mm. Which, mm. yeah. Anyway,
0: I don't know if I agree with, it, but you it's know, just a good it quote. Good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, it sounds
1: good. Um, well, to, he <laughs> he talks about myths being uh, truths that are that are hard to tell in any other way. Um, like mm-hmm. the underlying truth behind the actual historical accuracy. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so there is, where is it at? Let me find it in your book. Hold on. Yeah, so there's a part, and this is about as far as I made it each time. So there is a part in here where you say, I read Cohn and other black theologians, and it was mm-hmm. to use the word that we learned in school a revelation. Faith did not start in the books and words of those long gone. It started at the place of a bl- of the black body, a place both yeah. of divine and destructive revelation. Yeah. Can you break apart what destructive revelation is?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that came really out of my reading of uh Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, incredible book, Between the World and Me, um, where he has that in the early part of the book, kind of early midway through the first chapter, where he says the black body in America, uh, uh, that we perceive America as uh, the handiwork of God. As as the place of God or whatnot, I'm I'm loosely kind of quoting Cope's, but the black body in America is is one of the clearest examples that this country is the work of men. Um, And so, when I think about the destructive reality revelation, I'm not talking about of ourselves. I'm thinking particularly about Imani Perry. She writes this beautiful beautiful essay entitled "Racism Is Bad, Blackness Is Not." And so, for me, that's kind of the destructive reality: is the estimation that the country uh, has toward our black lives. And we think about—if you think about the way we enter this country, you know, we entered it as chattel, uh, mm-hmm. or as Sadia Hartman say, you know, I too live in a time of slavery. And what I mean is this: is that uh, that that we're still dealing with the crisis of citizenship. What citizens matter? what citizens don't, who, who's worth it, who's not, whose stories are valued, whose stories are not, whose stories must be told and changed and altered versus whose stories are accepted as factual and true and should be centered. And so the destructive revelation is in some sense as Baldwin. I love, I love, love, love a letter from a region of my mind. Um, and, and Baldwin, he uses beautiful, beautiful language to talk about, you know, the wages of sin. Uh, he says that the wages of sin is on every street corner. Uh, uh, and then he started naming things. And so, like, you know, the, 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 the world that we have inherited and the, th- and the ways that it make us, the, 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 what it does to us is that destructive revelation. But I believe that the most important part is the divine revelation, and just like I, and and I was doing some 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 theological thinking right there, particularly you know as we talking about traditions of biblical criticism,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, and thinking about you know uh, how we understand the Bible and biblical interpretation, and and I wanted to take seriously that many of these inherited sacred stories are inherited stories of people's lives. So when you start naming people uh those people their stories what their lives portrayed for good or for ill represented a certain type of divine story that was passed on to another person and so for me i wanted to take seriously that the lives of black people were divine revelation as well that our literature represented a certain divine revelation of How we named the world, how we saw the world, how we acted within the world, how we thought about our faith, how we thought about society um, and embodiment and things like that. And so, yeah, that's that's probably the beginnings of the way I would think about that question.
1: Yeah. What what are you now? So you deconstructed from Pentecostalism, you became reformed, which scares the hell out of me. Um, I can't. Yeah, that's what I was raised in. And then, yeah. What are you now?
0: Yeah, so like I'm 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 on staff. I'm on pastoral staff at a progressive Baptist church. I'm part of the Progressive National Baptist Convention. Okay, um, or, or whatnot. So I'm very much still Pentecostal in orientation. You know, as far as denomination, I'm not Pentecostal, but as far as orientation, I'm very much Pentecostal and still, uh, you know, still tied to in some sense, in some ways, to 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 many of my upbringing much of my upbringing. So, you know, I'm not, you know, it, 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 in some sense, like I didn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, for me, like, you know, I'm like in some sense, like took on a new name, you know, in some sense, as, as much as I felt like for me, my journey, and some people that's their journey, you know, and we have to honor that as mm. people. We mm. have to, you know, if, if, even if and this this is where it kind of gets kind of messy for us, you know, even as we think about stories in the Hebrew Bible, you know, and in stories in the in the Christian scriptures. I I'll never forget this story that you know that the disciples came with Jesus, and there came another person casting out a devil, a demon in Jesus' name. The writer of that text did not give us any social, cultural, or religious marker that 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 we can, in some sense, name that person or name their community or name where they're from or even in the Hebrew Bible, where we see, you know, lovers of God uh, or, or whatnot, people who love God, lovers of God, but they're not a part of, you know, the quote unquote religious community that's preserving this story, this particular story in this particular time, in this particular way. And so for me, you know, I'm not, I used to be this type of person that's like, you know, when I was in those spaces, I used to be this type of person that was very stickler about, you know, how people believe, what they believe mm-hmm. and things like that, you know. And, and, and then, you know, when people be like, you know, in some sense, you know, well, well all that matters. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I just I'm just not of that persuasion anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, or whatnot. And I'm not of somebody who even cares certain cares, particularly about doctrinal purity or denominational purity or even religious community purity. Uh, but I do think that we should creatively try and build something better than we than, than we than we inherited yeah. uh, as it relates to our social and faith lives and and and, and the type of world uh, we're living in. So that works for some people, but for me, you know, felt like I needed to go back to the black church, but I wanted to go back to a particular type of black church, uh, particular progressive black church that that where like questions of uh you know, where we're, we're like this kind of war, warring faith or feel like, you know, like this, like the whole idea of like, I feel like there's something voyeuristic about talking about the holiness of God
1: mm.
0: or like or these kind of what people would deem like big God or heavy theology. Mm. I feel like there's a certain type of voyeurism that like evades the honest tension of living. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to have to think you know, in some sense, in, in terms of, you know, what is someone doctoral stance? I wanted to be standing in the world, you yeah. know, who I was and, and and working for something better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask maybe one or two more questions. And and um, and I also want to say um, for those listening, there is a lot in the book that I'm just uncomfortable asking about uh, because it's so deeply personal, the stories. And some of Thank them you. seem slightly <laughs> traumatic. And also people should read the book and buy it. I know you said you didn't write it necessarily for white people, but I, I know I, I gained um, better context for some things from, from looking at it and and, and reading it. Um, I'll also say I, I, I like what your thoughts are on the Baptist church there or on the church overall. But, um, yeah, I happen to be cooperative Baptist, and one of my favorite parts about Baptist is priesthood of all believers. So you do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do and just be, yeah. just, just, hey, just yeah. stop, stop, stop. Hey. Stop it!
0: Just stop. Yeah, because I mean, because on the real, if you read church history, that's just the reality of the story that we're walking into when we talk about we're Christian. Yeah, is that there? I always say, you know, there is no such thing as a singular Christianity. There, there's, there's multiple and multi traditions of christian faith
1: even this year some,
0: <laughs> even even this year even into yeah. this day yeah where some look more like jesus some look less some some are more healthy some are less healthy mm-hmm. some prioritize uh certain things other prioritize other things based on historical social critical circumstances you know what what i think our job is to do is you know, stay be rooted wherever we're rooted, but also critically, you know, examining where we're rooted while also, you know, trying to tell a better story with those within our tradition and those outside of our tradition. I just think that's- you know, I just think that's a better way. Yeah. So
1: final three questions. One is related to something you say in the book, the other two, and, and this is the risk of, of having a minister on a preacher on is, is you may preach and that's fine. Feel free to preach. Yeah, nah. Um,
0: <laughs> my brain, ain't, my brain ain't there yet. So <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, I can't, I can't.
1: That's fine. So yeah. you write in here and, and I think that this is important for the, for the country that we happen to live in, you know, slightly below Canada and above Mexico. Um, is you right in here you learn to see that there's a connection to the body of jesus being beat in front of his people in public by authorities <laughs> being crucified by the state and the experience of black bodies being assaulted and terrorized every day in america which is true if you're listening and you disagree i don't i don't know why you're still listening um he did not stand with the assaulters but with the abuse jesus didn't stand with the state or religious authorities uh, and then you go on to talk about dignity and resistance and power and justice and love what does the church do with that? Like what what I mean, I mean you're holding your daughter. My my son will literally come in. The dogs are going to start barking here in a minute from school. Like the way that we treat one another and the apathy that comes from it can't be what the church is. At least that's not one I want to be a part of. So what do we do with mm-hmm.
0: that? I mean, I'm so limited in answering that question. I'm I'm just not a type of person that, like, you know, a writer, I'm a writer, mm-hmm. you know. And so I just think sometimes the best of writing is the type of writing or thinking that, that doesn't necessarily wonder about, like, the answers or what do we do. You know, I, I'll never forget reading um, Octavia Butler in Essence magazine. Mm-hmm. It was entitled A Few Rules for Predicting the Future. Uh, and I think, I think you know, given our history uh, and the years, particularly the last two years of our lives collectively, uh, many people are wondering what will our futures, uh, particularly individually, you know, what will our futures look like? And collectively, what will our future look like in the singular? Um, and, and, and she tells the story of a student coming up to her and, and asking her, you know, hey, so I was reading your book of the parables, Parable of the Sword and Parable of the Talent. You know, is it that bad the way you talk about it? You know, as many people would say her literature uh, was a certain type of apocalyptic genre. You uh, know, it 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 dealt with, you know, society. Uh, in in and I think I think it, uh, uh, Eddie Glaude uh talked about this with Baldwin in his book Begin Again, uh in the aftertimes. Uh, uh, or, or, or whatnot, and so the student asks, is it that bad? And, you know, Tavia uh, Butler said, you know, I didn't create the problems uh, or whatnot, you know, I just let the problems that we already know exist. I looked at them 30 years later uh, and I told the story of the way they turned into full-fledged disasters. Mm. And then the student asked her, what do we do? What's the answer then? She said, there is no answer there. are a multitude of answers. And you could become one if you so choose. Mm. And I think, and I think that, that story is instructive for us, is that oftentimes, as uh the 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 Catholic theologian uh uh Henry Nowen would say that that we always are in danger of looking for the final solution. Um, and as a writer, I just don't, you know, what do the church do with that? I don't know. You know, <laughs> I know what I'm trying to do with that. I'm trying to I'm trying to write better. I'm trying to allow that to help me have a more whole and healthy theology. Uh, I'm trying to allow that and help me become a better neighbor, a better Christian, a better human being. I wanted to help me tell better stories. When I think about the story of Jesus, Jesus offered a certain type of touching and being put back together again, mm-hmm. giving the challenges of the world that he lived in. So how do I write about the challenges? How do I write about the things that are problems that's turning into disasters? That's, I guess, that's a part of the equation. That's a part of the solution. That's a part of becoming the answer is me being willing to tell the story of us and willing to tell the story of myself and implicate myself in ways that are honest you know, but not, not narcissistic. Mm. You know, I feel like there's a way to tell a story where like, you know, like it it's almost like it's like what, what Imani will write in Breathe, where she where she talked about, you know, people like 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 black like black people dying is commodification. It is social and cultural capital. You know, think about George Floyd in 2020. Mm where many people take that moment and it becomes social and financial and cultural capital. Yeah. Okay, let's let's put out banners and uh, now we're going to get money for that and things like that. That's marketing and things like that. You know, people treat our bodies and our lives as they're simply just reducible to what white people think about us. And I just don't think that is the case. So I think, what should the church do with that? I don't know. I know what I'm doing with that. I know what Jesus did with that. And I know that when you're talking about the church doing what seems to be right and moral, you know, is a tall task to ask for, you know, at at every point in history, uh, we would say that the church has been critical, you know, uh, uh, for, for, for transformation. Mm. Uh, but, but also the church has been integral to these, these aspects of terror. Mm. There is, no, there is no, you know, slavery in a history of subject, racial subjugation without the theological justification of believing that black people are chattel and property. You know, there is uh, no in some sense, you know, wealth gap or incarceration rate without these ideas of politics and punishment and morality much rooted in these kind of ideas of divine nature there is nobody shooting somebody and beating somebody up that's trans and gay without the religious idea of what who whose body is worthy of love and whose body is worthy of death and condemnation you know there's always this religious theological justification mm. and so the church we must be honest about that um, and we must be allow, allow other people to see our stories and, and and allow other people to tell our stories for us. And try as best we can you know to 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 tell some type of better stories and become the answer to the problems many times that we created and protected and gave and gave justification for and so as i think about black people our bodies our flesh you know i want to say yes racism white supremacy racial terror racial subjugation uh, and the likes white social dominance white political dominance the inequalities and power dynamics all of it it's terrible, mm. but our black lives, our humanity, is our gift, not our burden. Yeah, and I want to be very clear about that. That that you know, when we when I think about the cross and the lynching tree, I just don't think about death. I don't think about us dying. I think about us being alive. As June Jordan, the poet, would say, "This is my gospel. Mm. I am black, alive, and looking back at you." Mm. And if that ain't if that ain't the good news, I don't know what is. It's just like Jesus on the third day. I am alive Mm. and looking back at you. And I truly believe that the glory of God, you know, is black people alive and in love and getting better. And this country also getting better as well. So,
1: yeah. So last question, Um, when you try to wrap words around explaining God, what do you say to that? When I'm like, hey, Dante, I need (laughs) it. Like what's like who, what is, why, where, whatever. Like what words do you give to that?
0: I tell people to read the color purple by Alice Walker, <laughs>
1: <I> <laughs> and, and, walk people, away, co- and walk away, and walk
0: away. read the color <laughs> purple by Alice Walker, and I, and then, and then we'll talk about God, uh, uh or, or whatnot. But nah, you know, I don't have many conversations like that. You know, in some sense, mm. I just a part of me believes those conversations are futile, mm. um, or, or whatnot in a sense. You and I know we were wrapped up in spaces that it seemed like that conversation exhausted the experience of faith. Mm. And and I don't even think that God wants us to think about that. Mm. You know, God is not concerned about whether we can give a teleological argument, a cosmological argument for the existence of a certain type of divine epistemology Uh, in our experience in our experience, experiential existential reality of anxiety, as, as yeah. Paul Tillich would say. Yeah. Now, I don't know if God wants us to use those type of words <laughs> in some sense uh, or, or whatnot. So, you know, I, in my own life, you know, no lie, man, as I, as I think about where I'm trying to think and find God, you know, right now, and I, I do believe the glory of God, as, as, as I think Irenaeus said, is, is human beings alive. Mm. Uh, and, and I try and spot God. You know, when Jesus, I try and spot God, particularly in our lives. You know, when Jesus you know, said the kingdom of God is like. What's interesting about this, those stories was it's always something that we already knew on earth. Mm. The kingdom of God is like yeah. something we already know on earth. And he used metaphors. And so for me, I'm trying to think about, okay, the kingdom of God is like reading Beloved by Toni Morrison, sitting by yourself in your office, saying this here, that your flesh, love it. That For that is the The kingdom of God is like reading James Baldwin, a letter from a region of my mind where he talks about that we thought, you know, I thought being with God was about loving everybody. But oftentimes that's not when you enter the church, exited the <laughs> church door. You know, the kingdom yeah. of God is like reading uh, Tony K. Bambara's The Salt Eaters and Velma asking uh, 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 um, Velman getting asked that question Are you sure you want to be well, sweetheart? Because healing and wholeness is no trifling matter. The kingdom yeah. of God is like that, like somebody out on the streets dancing, like Gerardus Rati in front of the policeman during 2020 uh protests in, in response to the murdering of George Floyd. The kingdom of God is like. Uh, people realizing that Brianna Taylor and uh, Tatiana Jefferson and many of the black women who are abused sexually, physically, emotionally, psychologically must be heard and seen. That is, for me, you know, where I want to find God. I want to find, you know, when Jesus asked that question, you know, will will there be faith on earth? Will I come back finding faith on earth? You know, I don't. I, you know, I think. I think in some sense, those narratives are connected. That. You know, whenever Jesus said the kingdom of God is like he always pointed to something we already knew on earth. Mm. And I think, as Jesus said, that's why I want to find faith on earth. And that's why I'm finding it right now in the sacredness of our black humanity, our black stories and the divine revelation that we can get from each.
1: Where do you want people to go, Dante? They listen to this. And and again, I'm going to link to the book because they should read the book because we. We we touched on like seven topics mm-hmm. of a eight hundred topic book. Um, so where do you want people to go, you know, to follow you, to interact, to buy the book, to to do yeah, something else? Like what yeah. what should people do if they if they feel so led?
0: Yeah, I think I think I usually recommend books to people, tell them to read. Um, I think everybody should read The Yellow House by Sarah Broome. Um. It is probably one of the most beautifully black books that I have read in recent days. The Yellow House by Sarah Broom, Men Reap by Jasmine Ward, Heavy by Kiese Lehman, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Deisha Filyall, The Prophets by Robert Jones, mm-hmm. you know, Look Both Ways by Jason Reynolds. I mean, just 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 the gamut of black literature, you know read it all you no know, try try and read the city we became by nk jameson and the black interior by uh, uh by elizabeth alexander it don't stop there go and pick up a little devil in america by hanifa duarqui and don't stop there go and look at black buck by mateo and unbound by tirana and somebody's daughter by ashley ford mm. And, and 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 don't just stop there. Go, go go and read Darnell Moore's No Ashes in the Fire and the Ones Who Don't Say They Love You by Maurice Ruff and all these black stories. Read them. Ingest them. Digest them. Sit with them. Read the classics in black lit. Tony Morrison, Alice Walker, Nikki Giovanni, Tony K, Nella Larson, Gene Toomer. Read the classics. Go back. And sit with that. And I think in some sense, there will be revelation Mm. of what I believe is the world that God desires and what what God desires of our faith lives, particularly a certain type of honesty, certain type of love, certain type of vulnerability, a certain type of dreaming, what can be possible for us. And so if you want to keep up with me, just go to Twitter or Instagram. And my... Uh, handles are all the same it's at Stuart Dante C all of them the same Uh, I try and get back to everybody that I possibly can but you know Life is picking up. Yeah, I'm busy. Two kids. Yeah. I got two kids. I'm in school. I'm married. I'm in ministry. Yeah, I'm writing. That's a lot. You know, I got my own personal life. You know, working out and things yeah. like that. So yeah. I try and hit everybody back, but I'm forgive yeah. me if I fail.
1: Does your wife do what I do and say, "Hey, I'm gonna need you to start saying no to a few things." You just keep saying
0: sure. Oh, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely. She is definitely the one that tells, and, and she is she's the one who knows
1: like, yeah. nah, you're doing too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told him I do this. We're not going to do that. I'm like, I'm going to text him and say, we're not going to do that. We're yeah. not, that's not yeah, happening. Nah. <laughs> so yeah, nah. I don't know what you're doing that night, but you're not doing that. So, yeah, nah, nah, yeah. nah. Yeah, man. Well, Dante, yeah. I really appreciate your time. And, um, Yeah, very much. And thanks you again for your words. They are, um, it's a powerful book. I am going to finish it. Um, I had another issue with another book similar, not to yours, but um, I read a book by uh, called uh, Without Buddha, I Could Not Be Christian by Paul Knitter. And I struggled with that book as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I I finished it a year later. I finally finished it. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the way I read. Um, I don't know. Anyhow, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really appreciate
0: it. No doubt, brother. You be blessed,
1: brother. You too. Now, I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show. That is one of the best, if not the best way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes, if you think on them or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it. Or, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, pastor. Here's what I heard. What are your thoughts on that? If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me. Consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. Now for you, I pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon.